Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 65 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I have one of our longtime Flying Free Sisterhood members, Karen, and she has graciously agreed to share some of her story with us. And so welcome, Karen, to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Natalie. I'm excited to be here. Good. So we're just going to dive right in. The first question is, how did you meet your husband and were there any red flags before you married him? Well, I met my husband when I was only 16. I was attending an all-girl high school, and it was the summer before my junior year. Um, I had a new friend, Amy, I had met the year before. I had just started that high school my sophomore year. We had a summer reading program assignment, and there was a packet we had to complete before school started the following week. So she had me over to her house. I spent the night so that we could work on the assignment. And I didn't even realize she had an older brother until he came stumbling down the stairs the next morning. And the interesting thing is when I saw him, I had this sinking feeling I would marry him one day. It was not a good feeling, but rather this sense of resignation and sadness. And that memory really haunted me for years. I still don't quite understand what that was about. I thought it was really odd. Yeah, isn't that strange? Yeah. I thought it was odd I had known her an entire year and she never even mentioned that she had an 18-year-old brother. She never liked the idea of us being a couple. In fact, the day of our wedding, when I was 19, she was really angry that day. She felt that I was making a terrible mistake, but I didn't see it that way. I just thought that she was jealous of our relationship because she and I were best friends and that she felt replaced. Um, But I see now that was probably a red flag right there. But she never, did she ever say why? No, she basically just said um, she didn't think we'd be good together. She was very vague. Okay. And because of that, I just kind of didn't take it too seriously. Did she ever, I'm sorry, I have so many questions. No. Did she she ever um, disclose either afterwards or before that that he was abusive in any way to her? Um. No. And in fact, we ended up becoming close because we had our first babies, um, like within two weeks of each other and they were good, close friends for a while. And so we kind of raised some of our our kids together for a few years before she went back to work. And I, so I, I talked to her about it because at that point I was in the middle of abuse and I would vent to her about what was going on. And all she would say is, I just knew it wasn't going to work out. I just knew he was bad for you. She couldn't, and she might not have even known herself. You know, you just have this gut feeling, right? Interesting. So, yeah, it was very interesting. So that was a one red flag. I also had some more. Um, I didn't know a whole lot about, I never even heard that phrase, red flag, but I did know that there was a big problem with his jealousy. I always felt like I had to convince him that I wanted him. He was even jealous of me swimming in public pools because he didn't want lifeguards looking at me. And I remember thinking that was really weird. Mm. And I always just had this feeling that I shouldn't marry him. And, but I just couldn't, something just felt off in the relationship, but I couldn't really put my finger on what the problem was. I know he came from a dysfunctional home life. His mother verbally abused him. I heard her 
So I knew it was actually a real thing. He wasn't just telling me that. One, one time when I came to the house, I heard her cussing him out. So I was concerned about that. My mom was concerned about that. She was concerned that, my, that he could come and abuse me. But I just thought, he's not going to do that to me. Surely his mom abused him. That's why he would be abusive to her because he was very abusive to his mom verbally. Mm. Um, but I was always able to talk him down when he was angry. I was his voice of reason. So I saw myself a little bit as above that. I was, I was the savior. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, but I had this other experience that was another big red flag when I was 18. I don't even know what really led to this other than there was some type of argument and I broke up with him. I was in, in his car. We were sitting at Taco Bell. I remember it vividly. And I took off my engagement ring because I was engaged already and handed it to him and said it was over. And I felt like this massive weight came off of my shoulders and I just felt so free. But he exploded. He had never done that before. He'd never done, never raised his voice to me. And he just freaked out. He was crying and screaming and raging and just, you can't leave me. I love you. And, and just this big, huge emotional scene. And so I put the ring back on my finger and, and I oh just, my gosh. yes, I, I just kept thinking this is fixable and it, it will somehow work out. Um, I have another story that should have been enough to end, to keep me from marrying him. And that was, we had attended an engaged encounter weekend through the Catholic, Catholic social services. I don't know if you've heard about that, but it's an intensive weekend designed to see if you're compatible for marriage. And they have exercises for you to do and questions to talk about and homework that you do. And it's, it's really good. It, it, it does actually cause many people to call, call off their, their engagements because they find out that they're not compatible. And I just honestly thought we would sail through that weekend with flying colors. We had already done premarital counseling and talked about a lot of things. But that weekend was really intense. And it showed me how immature my ex really was. He stopped doing the homework because he said he was tired. It was too much work. Um, and I'm, this was Friday evening and all day Saturday. That's it. And we left Sunday morning. So it was just too much for him. You know, he was 21 years old and it was just, he was just, he's like, I just want to be outside. It's a sunny day. So oh <laughs> it was just awful. It was so awful. Um, and we were supposed to, the last assignment was we were supposed to write a love letter to them, like basically committing yourself to them again or a goodbye letter. And I couldn't do either. And of course, he hadn't done it either because he had stopped doing the homework. And I just left with such a weight in my stomach. But again, I just felt powerless and I decided to stay with him. Um, he, there were other red flags too. Um, let's see. He would say things and not follow through. He would take me to family events um, with like cousins and aunts and uncles. And I would say, just please stay by me. I don't know anybody. And he would wander off and leave me. Um, I felt alternately worshiped or ignored. I was everything or I was nothing. Mm. Um, so I, I told my mom that I, I wanted to break off the engagement, but I just didn't feel like I had the power to. And she said that I wish she had empowered me and mm -hmm. said, but when I've talked to her about it recently, she said she doesn't remember that 
conversation. What I remember her saying was that I should pray about it and the Lord would guide me. Well, I just was like, God, please just, I wanted him to break up with me. I didn't have the strength to do it myself. So I married him hoping it would get better. And um, I was just determined to be the perfect wife and I would pray and we would go to church and everything would work out. And it did not. Unfortunately. So I'm assuming that things, I'm guessing that things probably got worse after you got married. What are some of the ways that he um, abused you in your marriage after you were married? Well, our marriage started out rocky from the day we left to come home from our 10 day honeymoon. We had funded the honeymoon with money from our wedding. We actually just opened up all the cards after our wedding reception. We had about $1,000, I think, maybe 1200 And we had been given a cabin to stay at in Tennessee. And so we just drove there, gassed up, and just had a ball. We spent the money freely. Um, We were married at Christmas time. So we bought each other Christmas gifts at the outlet and also gifts for our friends. And we were just having, we actually had a wonderful honeymoon. I can't say anything bad about it until we were on our way home. And we had probably $100 left, which in hindsight, I know that's not a ton of money. But I wanted to stop at this little Christmas shop like Christmas all year round type of shop and Mm -hmm. buy something. And he exploded again, just like he did in the car when I broke up with him, broke off our engagement. He started screaming and yelling and cussing at me and saying how stupid it was that I would want to spend the money. And I don't even remember all the words. I just remember being shocked and terrified and confused. And I just went silent. I know I cried, I think the whole way home. And I don't even remember the drive. I just remember shock. And I do remember eventually talking to him about it and asking him why he couldn't just talk to me about it. Why did he have to explode? It just so baffled my brain. And I said, I wasn't demanding the money. I was just trying to have a conversation, but instead it was abusive. And that began my early years of over abuse. It was very obvious before we had kids that it was, was a lot of yelling and raging and cussing, control. Um, he's, I, I always, but me always trying to convince him to please not do this. It's like, why are you doing this? This is, I'm, I, I was never abusive back to him. I was, you know, these were his fears. These were his things. I, I was working three jobs, going to school and just trying to make this work and just so confused. Why, what, what went wrong? Why would, Because I'd had that one experience in that car, but he didn't treat me like this when we were dating. So I was just baffled, just so baffled. Um, He he wouldn't let me decorate the way I wanted. We I have this one story. I bought a Claude Monet water lily print and put it up on the wall, and he took it down. And I put it back up, and he took it down. And you know, and every decorating purchase for the next 15 years was like that. It was a fight. He hated everything I did. Mm-hmm. It was hard to find a compromise. So I just learned to compromise, but I never loved it. Mm-hmm. I felt like my opinion wasn't valid. It was his way or no way. And then there was, of course, the lies from the very beginning. I took care of the checkbook until we had our first child. He would take money out and say he didn't. I mean, he would literally lie about everything. I remember asking him one time why he lied and he said he was trying to avoid my anger. But I said, but I'm never angry with you. I don't get angry at you. And he said he was used to growing up with anger. So he lied to protect himself. 
And I just tried so hard and diligently to explain that that the lying was worse than the offense and that it was creating a lack of intimacy in our relationship. But he just could never stop lying. In fact, to this day, he's a chronic liar. He, mm-hmm. he lies to me still. He lies Now he lies to his kids. They don't trust a word that he says. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also, he was also very hot and cold in the relationship. And there was a little bit of that in, in the dating relationship. He was extremely controlling unless he wanted to go out with his buddies, which was a lot. We had a counselor once say he was a married single. He didn't see us a team. He didn't see us as a team. He didn't really ever consider me at all. Because if I wanted to go out with friends and he didn't have plans, he would use guilt manipulation to either get me to go not, to not go out at all or to come home early. And if I came home later than he expected, he was angry and verbally abusive. And once cell phones came around, oh, I hated that cell phone because he would call me obsessively. It was always like a dark cloud hanging over my head when I was just trying to have a good time. I felt guilty constantly. He was not considerate of my feelings at all. He would go out after work and not even tell me. Once this one story is, I mean, it's just still hard to believe. Once he just didn't come home at all after work. It was just a normal day. I'd made dinner expecting him to come home at 7. It was 3 a.m. and he still wasn't home. I had gone to bed, but it's 3 a.m. and he ha- he's not home. And I, at this point, woke up in a panic thinking that he was in an accident. Or, um, But the power was out, so our cordless phone wasn't working. And so I thought maybe the hospital had been trying to call. And so I got in my car and drove to the corner gas station and when there were still pay phones and started calling people started calling. I called his parents. I called, I just called all around trying to find him. I eventually found him at his best friend's house. And turns out he had gone there after work to hang out and gotten too drunk to come home. And because the power was out, he didn't, he couldn't reach me. So he just went to sleep. Hmm. Um, I was just, I was, I actually flipped out on him at that point. I think I did. I did yell and curse and scream. I just could not believe the amount of that he just that he could be so inconsiderate, and I was so afraid. But it turns out that was not a one-time thing. That happened on a regular basis to the point where I stopped wondering why he didn't come home. It was just I just knew it was more of the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't even expect it anymore. Just reduced expectations. Um, He spiritually abused me by saying the Bible says I have to submit to him and that it was wrong to divorce. I was reactively abusive at times, and he would say I was just as bad as he was, so he had every right to abuse me. He, of course, justified everything. When he saw me reading my Bible or praying, he called me a hypocrite because I had gotten angry with him. He said I wasn't a real Christian. But he, of course, wasn't always abusive. He knew how to draw me out. He knew all of my deepest fears and secrets, but he would later use those against me to hurt me or to gain points in an argument. Once he said it was no wonder I had lost my best friend, it was because I was a horrible person. Uh, Another time he said it was no wonder that my natural father abandoned me. I was only two at the time. Wow. I remember, I remember looking at him thinking, that's just pure evil talking right there. That doesn't even make sense. Obviously, a two-year-old doesn't do anything to deserve to be abandoned, but that's the kind of abuse that I experienced. Mm-hmm. So 
as I grew stronger, I, I started counseling within two years of our marriage, personal counseling, because he wouldn't do marriage counseling. And I decided at year five, I was going to leave him. And so I actually did move out half the furniture out of our house. We had purchased a home. I took half the furniture, moved in with a friend. And two weeks later, found out I was expecting our first child. So of course, he went into love bombing mode and convincing me that he would change and this child was going to change everything. And so five months later, I moved back in with him. And he was on good behavior for about a year. And I remember thinking it was really strange. I kept waiting for the other shoe to fall. And of course, it eventually did. And then the abuse began, but this time it was more covert. Instead of yelling and screaming at me, there's a child around. So he wasn't yelling as much. He was still controlling. He was very subtle, more, more subtle in his abuse. There was, of course, manipulation, neglect still, gaslighting, minimizing, and then occasional overt actions. He would throw things. Um, but as our, as our kids, we ended up having three children, three daughters. And as they got older, then the abuse became more overt again. It's like he felt like it was okay now to yell. It was okay to throw in a few cuss words here and there. He would follow me around the house, not let me leave a room, get in my face, tower over me, spewing rage at me. If I hid in our bedroom, he would bang on the door aggressively, demanding to be let in. Sometimes I would just leave the house, and then the girls thought I was abandoning the family, and they would cry, but I could not get away from him. Mm -hmm. He just would not, he would not respect any boundaries, physical or otherwise. So in the last... In the last few years of our marriage, you know, they say abuse escalates. It did become more physical. I actually started CrossFit and became more physically strong. So when he would get in my face and tower over me or keep, keep me in a doorway, that was his big thing, to keep me in a doorway so I couldn't squeeze past him, mm -hmm. I, I would shove him out of the way and he would shove me right back. One time I remember I sho he shoved me and I fell and hit my... I don't remember what I hit. I just remember being shocked that he had shoved me that hard. And he was like, well, you deserved it. You shoved me. And I probably bought that at that time. He spit in my face a few times. Um, so it became, I began to get scared of him physically. And I'm like, this is getting, this is getting scary. Um, we did attend counseling a few times throughout the years for periods of time. He always lied to the counselors. They always loved him. He always acted like the victim. He twisted the narrative um, and made me seem like I was crazy. He, there was also financial abuse. After I stopped working to become a stay-at-home mom, he decided he needed to take over the finances and he put me in on allowance. He took me off the joint checking account and I never had access to, to money unless he handed it to me. Um, he was very stingy with the money unless he wanted something or if he was in buyback mode, if he was in the love bombing mode. He took at least two or three boy trips a year. He drove the nicer car always. I was treated as a child, like a second class citizen. My desires were always called selfish, but his desires were always reasonable. And if I would not give in to what he wanted, then he, I was selfish. Um, again, toward the end of our marriage, 20, we were married 29 years before we were divorced. I insisted if I was going to stay, I was going to be on the joint checking account. He allowed that, but the financial 
control and manipulation was still there. We were making $250,000 a year, living very modestly, and he acted like I was a spendthrift. His favorite expression was that I was hemorrhaging money. We paid cash for everything. We went on one modest vacation a year. We paid cash for our cars, and they were always used cars. Of course, his was new, brand new Mercedes, because he it was a company expense, every, all the best for him. But to hear him tell the story, I was bankrupting us. I lived within our budget unless he asked me to do something more. Um, I didn't even know until we were divorcing how much money we made. Oh. And it was, he, he lied, said it was far less, said we were going under. It was, and at the very end, when we were, we were separated physically for six months before I finally decided to divorce, and he, he closed out the joint checking account at the time that he said he was trying to fix the marriage. And I knew then, oh yeah, he's done. He's now gone into self-protection mode. He's done and, and lied and said the counselor told him to do it. And that counselor was so bought into his narrative that he didn't correct him. He was just like, oh, I mean, no, I never said that, but Karen, you just need to give him a break. People, there are misunderstandings. And I knew that was not a misunderstanding. That was very deliberate. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing he did is whenever we would make a major purchase, like we carpeted our house, it was 20 year old carpet. We replaced the carpet in the house. I would be punished for it later. He would yell at me, say, I insisted on it, even though we had agreeably decided it. And he even sometimes joyfully did it. Oh, I just want to bless you. But I always was mad about it later. Um, One time, again, one of those final straws, he insisted upon doing a bathroom remodel. That was his idea. And I was worried because he was saying that we were broke. And, um, and I kept saying, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure? I think we should back off. And he said, no, it's fine. And then later he yelled at me about it and said, I insisted on doing that job when it was him who insisted on it all along. And I'm like, now you're lying about what you're yelling at me about. (laughs) Yeah. It was so twisted. Yeah, it is twisted. And so I think we've all experienced that over and over and over again. It's crazy, 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 crazy. Yeah. So how, so, um, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced in getting out of that relationship and how did you overcome them? Okay. Mm. One of the biggest challenges was my own fear and doubts. Even though I knew I was abused, I was so terrified of starting my life over. I'd been a stay-at-home mom for 21 years at this point. Um, My ex said I would get nothing if I left. He was so intimidating. So I was just standing on faith alone at that point. But I had decided when I realized I'd rather be dirt poor living in public housing than living with him, I I knew that the material things had kind of lost their power over me. I just wanted peace. Mm -hmm. But that was very scary. It was very scary to think about starting my life over because he had such financial control over me. But luckily my parents have a big house and they took me in and my daughter for seven months. Um, my faith really carried me a lot though. I spent a lot of time journaling, praying, and I, I began to hear from the Lord in a new way. And I felt like he said, this is not the life that he wanted for me. He had something better and he would be with me every step of the way. I just had to get out of the boat and trust him. So I worked for a commercial cleaning company, saved some money until the divorce process was over. And because my ex 
wanted the alimony to be a tax write-off, and that law was changing in 2019, it motivated him to not drop the process as he said he would for years, as he had threatened. And it motivated him also to cooperate with my attorney and some of our, um, our not demands, but um, to, to go along with some of the things that I wanted because he was afraid if this went to court, he would lose control and it would not go well for him because mm-hmm. we actually did a collaborative divorce, which I do not recommend for anybody that's with an abuser. The only reason why it worked for me is because of this fear. Mm. His own fear actually worked in my favor. And I ended up getting a good settlement. Um, I did have a good attorney. I felt like I was represented well. But finding Flying Free, um, I found you the month I moved out. And that was by far the best thing that happened to me during this process. Mm. I knew that I was abused all along, but I didn't understand narcissism until I started reading all the articles that you had posted. And I was actually quite stunned at what I was reading because I thought my ex was unique. I had never really understood that this was a known character disorder. Right. He's actually quite, he's actually very cliche. (laughs) He is. And it was so comforting. I, I was so confused in my marriage because of the abuse dynamic. He could be wonderful and terrible. And I didn't know who was walking through the door each evening. Yeah. But understanding um, narcissistic abuse and all the tactics was so incredibly eye-opening and helpful. Plus, I had support for the first time and personal understanding from other women going through the same kind of abuse that I had experienced. And even though I had some friends that did understand that Ed was abusive, they, they couldn't relate to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I could vent, but they didn't offer, they couldn't offer understanding. And often their advice was completely unhelpful because mm-hmm. it doesn't work for an, in an abusive dynamic. Right. I also made a really close friend through Flying Free. And so now in addition to the posting on the Flying Free site and all, having my questions answered, I had a live person to talk to who had been through it. Mm. And I also had a cousin who had, she's the one who told me about Flying Free and I had her to talk to as well. She's also, she's actually still in the middle of her divorce. Okay. Her husband is drawing it out long. So all that Flying Free offers was just a lifeline for me. I've listened to every workshop, Q&A, read every article. And I also have been so helped by the people I've met through the workshops, like Bob Hamp and Sarah McDougall and Patrick Doyle. They are always speaking into my life. That has been so incredibly helpful to me. Good. That's wonderful. Okay. So after, after your divorce, how long have you been divorced now? I've been divorced just a little over a year. Okay. So did life get harder for you? Or are there any things that got, that, where you felt like it got worse? Yes. Okay. So when I left, the abuse escalated a lot. The emails just that, and the things that he threatened and the things he said blew my mind. He crushed me over and over with that. And I was just not prepared for his rage and threats, accusations. But the worst part was he turned my middle daughter against me for about a year. He spoke lies about me. He convinced her I was crazy. She saw my reactive anger thought, and thought it was my fault. Mm-hmm. She didn't speak to me for about seven months, and I was just devastated. She and I were actually very close before that. Um, my oldest wa- daughter withdrew, and while she didn't reject me, she doesn't agree with my choice, and that was very painful. Fortunately, they both came around. My middle daughter was a slow thaw. Um, 
my, my ex began to abuse her. She, she began to see through him and she learned that she could not manage him the way that she thought she'd be able to. So she tried a lot of the techniques that I had tried for years to manage him. And then she realized, okay, yeah, mom's not crazy. She was abused and she learned about narcissism. And so now she's the sweetest she's ever been. She's actually living with me again. Oh, and that is so wonderful. It is absolutely the best thing. I'm sad. I was not prepared for the pain that I would feel that, that this is the father that my girls have because they've seen his worst now yeah. that I'm out. That's been really painful to see what he's done to them. Um, my youngest daughter has been living, we, we have 50-50 custody. That's been hard. It's, of course, you know, you want to see your kids as much as possible. And I hate the time that she has to spend with him. Mm-hmm. Hearing what she experiences from her dad and the abuse that she experiences, she records it sometimes. And so I get to hear it verbatim. And it's, it, it's a knife through your soul every time. I just want to protect her. So I'm currently trying to modify our custody agreement, but Unfortunately, it's a long, slow process. We have to go through mediation and we, I mean, it's taken, it's been a month. I can't even get mediation scheduled yet. So it's going to be a process. Yeah. I, I've been actually, I started that whole process again last summer and we still, our mediation is finally in March. It's scheduled in March, but yeah, it's an absolute nightmare and thousands of dollars later. Like I've already spent thousands of dollars and we haven't even gone to mediation yet. Crazy. It is crazy. It's, it's such a game and it's a game that they play and they draw it out and he knows what he's doing. And he's aware, he's aware that she, she, cause I have a very outspoken daughter, my youngest, she's a freshman in high school. And so she said a lot of things that she probably shouldn't have because he's now getting more information than he needs to have, but she calls him out on his stuff all the time. So he knows she doesn't want to live with him anymore and that I'm fighting for her. So he's scared. But um, I, also I don't think just give up. Like, why don't I, they just give Like, do you really want to have your child live with you and they don't want to be there? I just, that's, I, the thing, that's the thing I will never understand. He wants her to be there. Like, we're also arguing about Christmas. She wants to be with him Christmas Eve and with me on Christmas Day. And he wants it to be in every other Christmas morning. But he still wants to have her every Christmas Eve. It's so twisted the way. <laughs> and, and she's like, but dad, I don't want to. And he's like, I don't care. He really doesn't care. He's that no, control. No, it's his whole, that's because the, the universe belongs to him. Right. That's exactly it. And he's like, you're just a 14 year old girl. I'm a 50 year old man. It's sick. It's a sick, twisted dynamic. It's, it's, it's really quite heart wrenching. Um, it, it, it's so hard. It's so hard. Um, but another challenge is I, I've had to grieve this, losing this marriage that I put so much effort into. I didn't think I would grieve it. That's been hard. And I have to figure out my life starting my career again. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I've tried a couple of different things that haven't worked out. And now I'm, you know, not working again. Thank you, Lord. I have good alimony for now, but I have diminishing alimony. That's over a period of 14 years and it's eventually not going to be livable. And I want to build up a retirement because I didn't get much of that. Mm-hmm. Um, because he has it all in his business and he had the business signed over to him as a gift from his father. So it wouldn't be splittable, um, at our divorce. I found that out at the divorce table. That was, oh, that's awful. That was horrifying. 
And of course he lied and said, you knew about that, Karen. I started bawling. I mean, there's, there's been so many, the rug has been pulled out from underneath me so many times. Yeah. But you know, How- I struggle, I struggle with that, but it's improving slowly day by day. It really is. So do you have any regrets at all? Oh my goodness. No, not at all. I, I, I sometimes regret that I didn't leave sooner. However, because of this custody nightmare, I, I'm glad I don't have to deal with this for the next 10, 15 years. Yeah. I only have another three and a half years. Mm-hmm. I, I do regret that I wasn't more prepared when I left. I didn't ask for full financial disclosure. I wish that I'd had the 90-day escape plan that you, you know, mm-hmm. have offered. Yeah. Um, I wish I'd advocated for myself more during the divorce process. I think that... Um, finding out how much money he made. And I, I was shortchanged for sure, mm-hmm. but I, I was so, I was just in a different place then. I have more strength now a year later than I did then. Yeah. Which it's is amazing which is, how you, yeah. at, you exponentially begin to grow you and, and you, you really do kind of morph into a completely different person. You really do. I mean, it's still a process and I'm still a little surprised at how slow the healing is. But when I look back to that, then I remember how far I've come. Yeah. And, and I always need to look backwards to, to be encouraged because I'm at peace now. I can't yeah. emphasize how amazing that is. As hard as this is, I don't have to live with him every day. That is the greatest gift I can explain. Yeah. It, to, to be able to have a bed to myself, to, to know I can have quiet, I can enjoy my kids by myself, we have gotten together as a family, my, my three daughters and I, and my oldest is married, and we did a group activity together, and we've done Christmas together, and this last Christmas was pretty decent, and I I'm, I'm, have my own life. I feel mm-hmm. like an adult. I don't have to ask permission to be an adult. Right. That, that's priceless. That's worth all the pain of it getting is. out. It's worth it. So if, the, if you could go back and tell your younger self one thing, what would you tell her? I actually wrote this out and I'm just going to read it because okay. after I read it, I really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, like, I love that. Stop second guessing yourself. Trust your instincts and your gut. If you are uncomfortable, that is God speaking and directing your life. Listen to your own heart. You matter. Your thoughts matter and you are valuable and dearly loved just as you are. You don't need a man or anyone else to validate your worth. You need to love yourself first and foremost before you can love anyone else. Any man or woman who tries to control you or makes you feel less than is not a safe person. Healthy people build you up. They don't tear you down. God never asked you to carry these burdens because he said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So if you are feeling burdened and heavy and weighted down, stop and ask yourself why, and then lay down that burden at the foot of the cross and walk away free. God is not a slave master. He said it is for freedom that he has set us free. So don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Marriage is not slavery. It is meant to be a beautiful reflection of Christ and his great love for for us. If it is not, and you are being enslaved and abused, you are free to go. God loves you more than he hates divorce, and he wants you to live an abundant life and not a life surviving abuse. Oh my gosh. 
I love that. Okay. I want that in print form. Cause I want to print that <laughs> out like, you know, as part of the teaser for this and also somebody out there, I'm talking to someone out there right now. That was for you. That was for you. Someone out there just heard that and that's for you and you know who you are and you need to take that to heart. That yes. was really, really beautiful. And then yes. is there a piece of advice that you'd give to someone who's someone who's married right now and who's thinking about leaving for good? What would you say to them? Yes, I would say be prepared. Get a good support system in place. And if you don't have one, flying free is amazing. Mm. They really will walk you through every step of the way. That, that forum is incredible for asking questions, for prayer, for so many different things. Have a support system. But also know it's going to get harder before it gets better, but it does get better. Don't give up. You are worth it. Keep doing the next right thing one minute at a time sometimes. And that's okay if you're living your life one minute at a time. Mm -hmm. And be kind to yourself along the way. You really need to love yourself now and be your own best friend. You can do this. Mm -hmm. Also very beautiful. Thank you so much, Karen. I, I see a lot in the forum. I see a lot of women who are just there, like they're um, on that cliff looking yes. over the edge and they, they know deep down inside they have to jump and they're, they're afraid to go through that initial pain of yes. watching their kids get angry or get sad or yes. just all of the stuff that comes with it. And it really is, you know, you, you didn't sugarcoat that. It really is pretty no. horrible. It is. But it really is the path it's worth it. to, it is, it's worth it. It's the path to freedom. And even with your kids, it, like you temporarily lost a couple of your kids mm -hmm. and it caused a lot of problems, but eventually it just like with mine, eventually they do come around and they can actually, they're actually able to say, I'm glad you took that step. It was the right thing for you yes. to do, mom. The truth eventually comes out. And I remember you saying that the truth will come out. And that was such an encouragement when my daughter wasn't talking to me yeah. to know, okay, she's going to see this for herself. And that's exactly what happened. Well, cause these guys don't change. They're not, they they're, they're the same. They're not, you're, you're changing and your kids will change and grow. But just because yeah. you guys do that and because the vast majority of the human race generally speaking, follows that trajectory. These mm -hmm. particular people, kinds of people don't, they don't change. They That's don't. what makes them pathological. They so don't. Um, you can always count on them staying, being consistent, staying the same. And eventually they are found out there because you just can't live a successful life when you are unable to take a look at a hard look at your behaviors and change them. Exactly. That is exactly it. In fact, my daughter has shared with me some of the things that he has said to her and it was kind of stunning because they were the same expressions he used with me. He doesn't even have new verbiage. Right. Um, exact same things. They're stuck in a rut and yep. a pattern of abuse themselves. So yep. the only way to get out of that is to pull yourself out of the equation. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much for, um, for sharing your story with us and making yourself vulnerable. I know that this is going to be really encouraging to people who are at, in all, at, at various stages of their own journey. And so, and for the rest of you who are listening, thanks for listening. And until next time, fly free.